Well, good morning, Clearview. <laughs> Greetings from Big Sky Country. How many of you have been to Montana before? All right. Why aren't you there now? Um, before the end of this service, we will be asking for commitments, and I am not kidding. All right? So go ahead, prepare for that. It is good to be with you uh, today. I'm going to ask if you would to uh, have a little audience participation here. I hate it when I'm in the audience and someone does this, but when I'm up here, I don't mind it one bit at all. All right, so you got one of those little Great Commission pamphlets there. If you don't, there's some maybe on the seat around you. Grab one of those uh, right there on the front of that. Uh, it has Acts 1-8 on it. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles today to Acts chapter 1, that's where we're going to be looking at. Uh, there's a couple of things I want you to do. Somewhere on that, in that, I want you to write down your name, your phone number, and your email address. All right? If you don't have any of those, I know you have a name. More than likely, you have a phone number. You may or may not have an email address, probably do, but... Write that information down anywhere in this little booklet, all right? You can do that as the service is going on. Uh, that'll make me think you're taking notes, if nothing else. And uh, then on this front page here where it says Acts 1-8, I want you to do something very simple. Uh, the pronoun you, the pronoun you, I want you to circle it every time it is printed in that verse, very simple instructions, all right? Not too bad. Almost feel like you're back in the classroom every Monday night when we do kids' ministry. There's one thing we always do. We have these little sheets and uh, uh, worksheets that go along with the lesson. And one of the things we do is write your name on the paper. Take this home to your parents. Um, tell them about the story and so on. So this is kind of the whole deal we're doing right now. So write your name on that. While you're doing that, I want to tell you just a brief little introduction about um, myself and my family. We are originally from North Carolina. Uh, I have not lost my southern accent after all these years. Go Tar Heels. Mm. All right, good try. Uh, anyway, um, I am a, a full-time hospice chaplain. I not only do chaplain work with hospice, I almost, I'm also the bereavement coordinator, the volunteer coordinator with this organization. I do Pastor Keystone Church. Occasionally I drive a school bus, uh, so I wear lots of hats there in uh, Manhattan. I love to travel. I love being here. I wish there was warmer weather because I came from cold weather. Uh, we need to talk about this the next time I come, maybe plan it in June or something. Uh, but uh, I love the outdoors. We love Montana. It is a wonderful place to live. I have a beautiful wife who is in with the kids right now. Uh, married 24 years. She is very adventuresome. Uh, we have two boys. Uh, she is the greatest mother in the world, and I can brag on my boys and say they are a testimony to her being a great mother. And uh, I know all of us want to say that about our kids, and I am not ashamed to say that about my kids. I love them very much. And one of the things about her is she is a full-time ministry partner with me. Uh, she's never received one paycheck uh, to do ministry, but she is fully vested in it. And uh, that is a huge blessing to me, to the church, to the community, and to all those 
uh, that she serves. I'm not sure I'll get away with this next service when she was in here because she'll say, you shouldn't have said that about me, but I can say it in here. Uh, we have a son, Quentin. He's 21 years old. He is uh, in uh, his junior year of college at Montana State University studying uh, criminal justice with a minor in elk and deer hunting and sometimes <laughs> goose hunting. And then Corbin is our youngest. He just started his freshman year at Colorado School of Mines. Uh, he is majoring in some kind of engineering, being that that is all that school does. Uh, he hasn't decided totally yet, probably mechanical. And he is minoring in flag football and club basketball. And uh, I told him he's almost having too much fun, but he is uh, having a wonderful time there. I tell you that uh, because there's going to be a special offering afterwards uh, just for those boys and their college education. So you can give that directly to me or I will give you the address of the schools to send that to. All right. But thank you so much. Uh, as you can see, I like to have a little fun, uh, laugh, humor me. Even if you're not sure it's funny, laugh anyway. Uh, it will help me out. Manhattan, Montana, southwest Montana, right outside of Bozeman, 100 miles north of Yellowstone National Park. Uh, there's a couple of other Manhattans in the United States. One is in Kansas. Kansas State University is there. And the other one's somewhere else. I can't remember. I think it's up north maybe. Uh, the Big Apple. We are the Little Apple. All right. In fact, we have a computer place in our town called Little Apple Technologies. Uh, we do have a subway. You can buy a foot long there any time of the week. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's about as much as we have in common with Manhattan, New York. So I'll tell you that just to give you a little basis of uh, who we are. And uh, we look forward to getting to know more and more of you. Uh, now that you've kind of circled those pronouns there uh, in your uh, little pamphlet this morning, I want us to read a few verses from Acts chapter 1. Now, we've probably all heard this. We probably don't even have to look in our Bibles, can almost quote it. Uh, it is the Great Commission statement. But I want us to read verses 6 through 9 this morning. One thing I've learned in life is the most important things that I need to know and need to understand, I have to have repeated to me over and over again. In fact, we were just in the Empower Conference these last couple of days, and I really didn't hear anything new, but I heard new ways that those things were reinforced again, and it truly worked in my heart and in my life to think about and to take action on those things that were presented to me once again. Any of you that are parents know that. You don't tell your children something one time and they get it. You tell them over and over and over again. My youngest son, Corbin, he's an adventuresome one. When we first moved into our home, there was a chain link fence out in front of our front yard and I was out working in the yard one day and he was just a tiny little guy and uh, he climbed up on top of that chain link link fence and said, hey, Dad, look. Well, my first inclination was he is about to break something. I was like, Corbin, get off of there. Okay. And he jumps off. And I was like, don't you get back up there again. I went all about my business and I heard, hey, Dad, look. And he's standing on top of that chain link fence. And I was like, I told you not to get up there. You are about to hurt yourself. Get down from there. Okay. And he jumps off again. I'm thinking twice, surely he gets it the third time. Hey, Dad, look. And before I could say it, he knew 
because he'd heard it twice. I was going to tell him to get off there, which he did, and he jumped, and the bow on his shoestring hung one of those little things, and he didn't quite make it to the ground. He kind of like slapped the fence, you know, like a pendulum, and then his shoe came untied, and he fell on the ground. Guess what? There was not a fourth time. He got it. But it took repetition over and over again. So we're going to look at a very common passage of Scripture this morning and look at what God has to say to us from it. Now, in verses 1 through 5, of course, we set the stage of the book of Acts, and Christ is about to ascend. They're having conver- he's having a conversation with his disciples. So read verses 1 through 5. I don't care if you even read that while I'm preaching to get the basis of this if you don't remember it. But uh, he is telling them here that John baptized by water, but you're about to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So here comes this big word, therefore, saying what I've just said, there's something big and emphasis going to happen here. He says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then verse 9 says, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. As we see this, this is a very, very powerful passage of Scripture. And just as a little bit of explanation here, uh, we see that the book of Acts, this introduction, is an introduction to the story of God's grace. Now, we read the Gospels, we read about Jesus' life, we read about the miracles, we read about his death, burial, and resurrection, we read about these things, and then we read about his mission. Even when he was about to leave, the story of grace continues on, and he is passing that on for us as believers to continue that story. His redemptive story didn't leave or stop when he left this earth, but he wanted it to continue and to spread even further. So, it is a story of grace. This acts is the story of God's grace flooding out to the world. From the cross and the resurrection of Jesus in Jerusalem to the ends of of the earth. Nothing is more prominent in the book of Acts than the spread of the gospel. Jesus promises a geographic expansion at the outset, and Acts follows the news of his death and resurrection as it spreads from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and all ends of the earth. Christ wanted those that he was talking to to be witnesses to be witnesses to him, to proclaim the truth of what they've seen. The fact that Jesus notes uh, the places to go is also a note that he wanted to be able to reach all people. We'll talk a little bit more about the regions, but we'll also talk about the people in those regions a little bit more. But understand something here. We're going to focus on verse 8 there, of course, the Great Commission statement. Your little pamphlet here is the Great Commission month. It's an emphasis on where are we to go? What are we to do? Who needs to hear the gospel? What part has God called Clearview Baptist Church to be a part of in reaching the ends of the earth? Not just right here in Tennessee, not right here just in Franklin, but across this globe to the ends of the earth till everyone has heard the gospel story. 
Notice what he says there. They ask him a question. They want him to uh, answer this question about when things will come. But instead, he, re- he responds with a, uh, with a phrase of, you will receive power. All right, I'm going to talk to the guys here for a moment. Ladies, some of you also like power in certain ways, but this is going to be a very manly analogy, all right? Guys like power. I don't care what it is, all right? If it's a chainsaw and you can get a 12-inch bar, you'll probably buy a 20-inch bar, right? I could shoot a 243, but I shoot a 300 Winchester short mag. I went to the rental car place one time, and this never happens, but they told me, I always walk by like spots one through 10 at the Bozeman Airport. That is the nice cars. In the summertime, that is the sports cars. In the wintertime, it is the SUVs. It was summertime, and I walked by, and there was the Mustangs, and the Chargers, and the Challengers, and all that, and I was like, Oh, man, I wish I could get one of those. But, of course, it would be frowned upon for my business to see me pull in in one of those. But I go to the front desk, and they say, uh, Hey, Mr. Johnson, here's your car. You're in spot number four. And I'm like, four is between one and ten, I'm pretty sure. And I was going through my mind thinking, which car was it? Now, I have to say, there was a small SUV parked somewhere between one and ten. And I was like... God, if you could just answer this one little prayer, don't let it be number four. I walk out there, and there is a Dodge Challenger in spot number four. And I had an ethical dilemma for just a moment, just a brief moment. Because I thought to myself, if I pull into my office in this Dodge Challenger, they're going to think, what are you doing, and why did you pay so much? I didn't pay any more for it. They chose to do that. Now, I say that because I got in this Dodge Challenger. I got over my ethical dilemma very quickly. And I got in that Dodge Challenger. I go to get on I-90, and I realize I always get in and check out all the features of the cars I've never been in before. Did you know that a Dodge Challenger has a feature on it that you can own right where the speedometer is? It has a drag racing Christmas tree. You guys know what that is? You know what that is? That is that little red light, yellow light, green light go. You know, if you're watching drag racing. What I did not know was this car would tell you what your reaction time was from when that light went to green and how fast you could get from zero to 60. And my theory is if that feature is in a car, you must use it. (laughs) I pull up to the entrance ramp. I put that little feature on. I grab the steering wheel. The light is red. It says, get ready. Red, yellow, green. I stomp it. And I go up at entrance ramp. You know, I hit 0 to 60 before I got the entrance ramp, so I have time to do it one more time. So I slam my brakes on because I was not happy with my reaction time, and I did not think I'd gotten there fast enough, so I started all over. And this time I hit the interstate, and I'm going. Now, why do I say that? That is such a poor analogy to compare a V8 and a Dodge Challenger to the power that God said he was about to give his people. If we read about the power of God in Genesis, he said he did what? He spoke and it was. Now, I can go back in my childhood and think about songs where I sang about God took the clay and he molded it and he did this, that, that's That's not what the Bible says. He spoke the clay into existence. 
He spoke and there was light. He spoke and there was water. He spoke and there was land. He spoke and there was world. He spoke and there was man. God spoke. Now let me fast forward to the end when we know that he has given us the victory. And one day the enemy who was running rampant in this world right now, God doesn't even waste a word on him to finally bind him and put him away. It says he breathes and the enemy will forever be gone. That's the kind of power that we are talking about. If you come to Montana, you look at creation. It helps us to get a sense of what the psalmist says when the rocks and the mountains and all of those things cry out in his glory. When you stand and you look at the vastness of that and you see how small you are and you realize how big God is, that's the power that you as a believer have the ability to use in your everyday life. Now, the reason I bring that up is we, in our state, we may fear. We may feel weak. All of those things. But you know what that does? It brings greater glory to God because of his power being exhibited through us, carrying out the work that he has called us to do. So I think this is very important that we understand, even try to grasp. I can't even grasp what that even means totally when he says you will receive power when what? The Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit. In other words, he will never, ever leave us. He has taken residence in us. He has baptized us in the Holy Spirit, and he says, I will be with you. Jesus the Son says, I'm going to heaven, but I am sending one. There is one coming who will take residence in you. You will never, ever, ever be alone, ever. In big sky country, you go out to hunt. If the moon is not out, it is dark. All right, it is really dark. And in Montana, even if you're hunting, you can be the hunted. There are things that will eat you there. I am not kidding. There are lions, mountain lions, not kitty cats. There are grizzly bears, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of just raw anger walking around in the woods looking for something to eat. And when you're out in the dark by yourself, I don't care how big the gun is on your shoulder. It can be frightening. And there's something about when you have a hunting partner with you that helps take away that fear, that helps dispel some anxiety. There's something about having someone with you in the hardest, darkest times, even in the lightest times, that makes life better. And how much better when we realize God himself has taken residence in us, never to leave us, and has given us the unbelievable power that he has so that we might carry out the mission that he has called us to. So as we grasp this this morning, he then goes in and says what? You shall be my witnesses. This is one who tells the truth, that tells the truth. Now, I was very fortunate to get my elk this year, and there were seven guys in here that knew about it that evening. 
I bragged about it. I sent them a message. I sent them a picture. I was like, look what just happened to me. And some of the story might have been embellished, but most of it was truth, all right? There was a picture that showed me and an elk. The truth is, I got an elk. How I got it, I know, and I may or may not tell all the truth. But there is one fact. You can't take that away. I got my elk this year. My freezer is a testimony to it. It is full of meat. I am a witness to that because I was there. And Christ is calling his people to do what? Go tell the truth about me. I want you to go tell the truth about what has happened in your life, that you know me, and I want the whole world to know this. Now he tells us Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. There's a couple of representations here, and I want us to think about this uh, just briefly for a moment. First of all, Jerusalem. It could be my family, my people, the people closest to me. It's where I live. It's my residence. It is the people that God has surrounded me with. That starts right there in my very home, my wife and my kids. That's the first place I'm to be a witness. It's to tell the love of God to what? My people that are the closest to me, that God has put me responsible for, that God has blessed me with. My immediate family, my co-workers, all those people that I see on a daily life. And then he says, Judea. Maybe this is my neighbors. Maybe that neighbor is the one across the street. Maybe that neighbor is somewhere else in town. Maybe that neighbor is at the fire department where I serve. Maybe that neighbor is the co-worker I serve with at hospice. And then he says, Samaria. Now, Samaria was north of Jerusalem, north of the region of Judea. Judea encompassed the region. That was the bigger region that Jerusalem was in. Samaria was north of there. That was the other neighbors, but it was also the people they did not like. If you know the Bible of Jewish and Samaritan relationships, they did not like each other. They did not. You think that stopped Jesus from wanting them to hear the gospel? He says, we're to do what to our enemies? Love them? Oh, that's a different sermon and one I don't want to preach to myself, okay? But he says, it's all about people. I was interested in the empower thing. One of the things that really stood out to me, one of the phrases that stood out to me was, God pursues the abuser just as much as he does the abused. Okay? If I put that in my own finite mind, I want to pursue the abuser, but for a totally different reason than I would pursue the abused. But God does what? He loves both. He loves both, and he wants to see their lives. And then he says, to the end of the earth, everyone else. Now let's put this in geographic terms. Jerusalem. Let's start right here. You're Jerusalem, the place of your residence, the area surrounding Clearview Baptist Church, Franklin, Tennessee, Williamson County, however you want to call it. That's your neighbor. That's the people around you, the people you come in contact with every day. Judea is your state. Let's just put it in that area. The region that contains Williamson County. It is the state of Tennessee. Clearview Baptist Church is responsible for taking the gospel to the whole state of Tennessee. And not only that, he goes on to what? Samaria. People you may not know or people you may not like. 
I want to put it in a region of it's our country. You know what? Montana may be your slice of Samaria that God has called Clearview to reach. And then he says what? To the ends of the earth. These flags that represent uh, all of these countries around are the ends of the earth. You have chosen to do what? To reach out to the UK, to Haiti, to South Africa, to Asia, these other places. That is your slice of what God has called you to do. And you are to pursue it. I love this. You've got it right here. You've got your Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth right here behind me. Those are represented here. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, well, if you're qualified, go be a witness. The qualification was, do you know me? And if you know the truth, then go tell it. That's the only qualification that he stipulated there. He didn't say, well, you can't really be a, uh, a witness because of your profession. You know, it might not be acceptable. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe that doesn't sound right. I have a really, uh, I have to tell you, I even discussed this with Jason. I have a real tension going on in my own job situation because of some things, just some ethical things, not that the business does, but because of some of the values they support. And I struggle with, do I be associated with that and people think I actually adhere to that or do I try to be the light in the midst of that darkness? Which is it do I do? I'll tell you one of the instances, have you ever heard of medical aid in dying? It is the, if you are cognitive and you have the ability to understand, I'm going to take this medication and in my life, it is legal in the state of Montana. If I don't believe in abortion, I have a really hard time believing in medical aid and dying. But what I can do is I can go visit that person that says, I'm going to do that and say, what's your hope after this life? If you do this, what do you expect afterwards? Is that it? You know what the question I get is? Well, tell me what you think. Oh, well, I think. This isn't what the organization thinks, but you just gave me an open door. I am the witness to the hope I have is in Jesus Christ. And he is the only hope. And if you haven't got that settled, here is how you can. And that's a struggle. But that is the world we live in today. So, he didn't say, well, you need to go get this certification, this conference, this schooling. If you have spare time, or maybe that one week out of the year when you travel to go a mission trip, that's the one time you go do the commission. No, he tells us to do it all of the time. If we think about the disciples, who were they? Well, a bunch of them were fishermen. Some of them owned their own fishing business. Fishermen were not looked up on very well in this time. All right? They were not. It was not an elite business that they were in. They were, it wasn't. Now, people, of course, like the fish, but the fishermen didn't have that best reputation. Simon the Zealot, he was either a politician or a revolutionary. Man, he was the one fighting against the Roman rule. He was the one to overthrow the government. Matthew was a tax collector. 
Oh, my goodness, he was the chief of sinners, according to the ones that looked at him. He was coming to get my money. We don't even know about James, the son of Alphaeus, and not really sure about Philip's Tom, Thomas and Nathaniel. They might have been fishermen because they were on a fishing trip sometime in the Bible. But God didn't say, you know, uh, you need to do such and such. He goes, right where you're at, right where you're at, be my disciples. Matthew 28, verse 19, go Therefore, make disciples. That word go, while you are going, and everything you do, whatever you're walking in life, go make disciples. So, I ask you, where are you most of your time? Work, school, home, wherever? That's where you start. That's exactly where you start. Where and when are you to fulfill the Great Commission? What are you passionate about? You can be on mission wherever. You look on the screen. This is a picture. That's me, Eastern Montana, on a deer hunt with uh, some guys from the church. We always challenge the guys when we go to this deer camp, bring somebody that's not church or not safe. We'll go hunt. We're going to hunt hard. We're going to hunt all day. And then in the evening, we're going to have a Bible study. We're going to have a meal together. Just let them know that up front. Here's the challenge. I said this picture, this was 12 years ago. And the reason this picture is significant is because at this point, my friend took this. My best friend in Montana took this. He and I hunted a lot together. We've done life together. And uh, unfortunately, he lives about three hours away now. But it was at this point in time, sitting on that hill in Orange Vest, waiting on deer to come out, that I said, Mark, I need to ask you a question. I said, we've been friends, but I've never asked you. You know Christ. You attend church. We hang out. We do things. But do you know Christ? I need to know. Sitting on that hillside, he gave his testimony to me. Yeah, I do. So I thought so, but I needed to ask. Every year when Facebook pops this up, he reshares it. And he shares it with, I'll never forget this day. Wasn't in church, wasn't at the Bible study, sitting out on the hillside. So the next picture. Guys from Tennessee were out. We had a softball game, men's softball game. There were about 60 people there because their families came too. We encouraged them to come, and uh, we had a big time. And uh, I love to play softball, but you know what? All these people like to play softball, but no one ever organizes it. No one ever organizes it. But you know who's in this picture? There's two basketball coaches, two football coaches, one guy who coaches basketball and football, two firefighters, two friends of a firefighter, a couple of college students, my son, some guys from Tennessee, a former youth pastor, and what you don't see is all their families that were there. And that day we got together, we had a big meal, we had a lot of fun. We talked smack talk to each other and so on, but before... We sang the national anthem, and we had prayer. They all know I'm a pastor. They all know this. We talked around the tables afterwards. I talked to them about church, talked to them about those things. These guys from Tennessee had great conversations. On a softball field, you can go and be a witness. One more picture. This was taken a few years ago. This was Christmas morning, about 4 a.m., I've been a volunteer firefighter for quite some time. 
had a horrible wreck call about 11.30 on Christmas Eve, and it went to 4 a.m. in the morning. We'd been out. It was extremely cold. And I stepped back as we were leaving the scene, and I saw all of my firefighters, and I stepped back, and I snapped this picture. And uh, I'm the chaplain with them, and uh, it was a hard night. It was a difficult night. So I show that picture because I want to finish with this in our application time. You can go on mission wherever you are. If you've been to Manhattan, Montana on mission, would you just stand for a second? We had some ladies come out and do a prayer walking time. And let me tell you this, here's the result of your prayer walking. We prayed at our church over the kids' ministry. We started out in January. We had six kids. We have 20 kids registered now. We prayed for workers. Tomorrow night, two people are doing work, and Teresa and I are not there. All right? That is the answer to the prayers. Randy, who cooked for these guys when they were out, rededicated his life sitting in his truck in a traffic accident, not his accident, but rededicated his life to the Lord in his truck because we prayed for these people that they would commit themselves, and he is to be baptized. He's never been baptized other than when he was 18 months old. And he says, I now understand what it means, and I want to do this, and I want to invite my family and friends. So he's going to be baptized. He's given his testimony the week before Thanksgiving. You guys can be seated. These guys came out. We did a softball game. We did a shooting event. We went ATV, and you think, that's a lot of fun. Absolutely. God did not call us to a life of misery. He called us to a life of joy and peace. And if we can't exhibit that, then the people of this world will not want a part of it. And at the same time, we can witness to them in those aspects. And you know what? Because these men came and because they lived out an example, I've given of their time and given, no matter if they were five people or 60 people, whatever it was, I had a guy to come to me in church the other day and goes, I don't know what we can offer, but is there any way we can go on a mission trip to Tennessee and help these guys out? What can we do? I mean, they came and helped us. Can we go do anything? Is there anything we can do? I mean, they've got a lot more people, but a few of us could go and do something. That example of just coming has encouraged them to go. Now, in the fire department, we have officers. We have the chief, assistant chief, blah, blah, blah. On a scene, we have operation officers. So we have the chief. If, he, if we come, it's an all-volunteer organization. We have lieutenants, captains, and so on. That is basically senior people that have been on the fire department for quite some time. On a call, though, we have someone that is very important. That is the incident commander. The incident commander. Now, before we ever go on a call, every Tuesday night, we meet together for at least two hours, and we are trained. The training officer depicts or uh, speaks more into our lives than the chief does because they train us and equip us to be ready to go do our job when the page comes in. We may not like what the training officer has us to do, but he's doing it to equip us and to send us out. You have a training officer, and his name is Jason. You also have other staff, and guess what their job is? It is to train you, equip you, and get you prepared to send, be sent out. Our motto is, you've probably heard this phrase before, don't do it until you get it right, but do it till you never get it wrong. That way when we're on scene in an emergency situation, it is muscle memory and we do it right. You are to uphold your training officer. 
You get behind him when you need to follow. You get beside him when he needs to be encouraged. You get in front of him when he needs to be protected. And if you don't like him, you need to get away from him. There are other places you can go. Jason did not ask me to say that, and he'll probably ask me not to say that next service. (laughs) But if it was not for our training officer, we would not be equipped to ever be on scene. Let me tell you something. The incident commander is always the person in the passenger seat on the first apparatus that arrives on scene. We like for that to be a senior officer, but it doesn't have to be. Most of us will either fight to get in the driver's seat or in the back of the truck because we either want to drive fast or we want to be involved in the action. We don't want to be telling others what to do and not doing it ourselves. Jesus Christ is our incident commander. He has always given us the Great Commission, Acts 1-8, go. We are to go all over. We are to do that, and we are to do it every day of our life. Sometimes I get a page, and I don't want to answer it. I'm like, oh, 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm tired. I just, I don't want to do it. So the initial page comes out, and sometimes I have to wait, and then there's a second page. Sometimes a second page comes in, and it's called an additional manpower page. And at that time, I go, okay, I better go. An additional manpower page. That is when Christ looks out, and he goes, the fields are ripe, but the laborers are few. I've told you to go, but now I'm telling you, go again. So I ask you this morning, where are you going? Now, that little thing, there's one more slide, the give and go. It's a basketball play, all right? That means the person up front gives a short pass, someone sets a pick, they drive to the goal, they get the ball right back. You have two opportunities in your and your pamphlet, it's not an either or. You are to give and go. Give of all that you have, your time, your uh, income, all of those things, because you will get it back. You'll get it back in eternity for one. But you will get it back if you go. I can tell you right now, they sell one-way tickets to Montana every single day. <laughs> Robert said, we do this and do that and do the other. We need help. We need help. We need someone to come and lead the music. We need someone to help with youth. We need someone that when I'm out of town, they can preach. We need someone to lead men's Bible study. We we can't do it all. We need help. Hey, we would welcome you if you'd move to Montana. As I turn this over, I'm going to pray for you, and this is what I want you to do. You wrote in your book this morning your name, your phone number, your email address. You might need to circle in that book, here's where I'm going to go. There's a lot of opportunities there. You may have to write one in because God is calling you to go somewhere different. It may be across your street. It may be to Montana. It may be to North Dakota. It may be whoever knows where. But if you are willing to make that commitment, maybe after this service, maybe before this service ends, you need to walk up and drop that on the altar so that your training officer can pick it up and know how to equip you to go. Don't leave and think about it. Because if you leave, next week you'll be thinking, I don't know if I want to do that or not. If God's speaking to you right now, 
He's asking you to respond right now. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.